Well, we are in our final week of the series. My, my plan was to, this, this was going to be two messages. I was going to wrap up the Shalom series next week at our anniversary service. So I'm going to try, I'm going to do my best to uh, squeeze both of, these, both of these sermons into tonight. I, I think I've, I've, I've got it down there. So, um, so we're going to move through it a little, a little bit. And uh, because I, I really feel like God put something on my heart for our anniversary service next week that I'm going to entitle 98.6 and, and is going to be the title of that sermon. And I, I believe it's going to set a tone for us moving into 2024. So I hope you plan to be here for that. So somebody say shalom. Shalom is a deep sense of well-being and goodness that is anchored in Jesus. This is the definition that we've built together over these last several weeks of what the biblical idea of shalom is. A deep sense of well-being and goodness that is anchored in Jesus, meaning that it is not circumstance dependent. No matter what kind of situation that I might find myself in, no matter what types of emotions that I might be wrestling with, shalom is not about denying our feelings. Shalom makes room for our feelings. Shalom makes room for whatever emotions are stirring up in our hearts. Shalom is an anchor that always eventually though brings us back to our center, which should be peace. It doesn't say to us, you can't express how you're feeling. It doesn't say to us, deny your circumstance. It says, no, 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 in spite of what you're feeling, in spite of your circumstance, peace can be your center. It's always calling back to us to come home. We shared with you that until we are ready to accept the biblical concept of portion, our understanding of shalom is directly connected to the biblical concept of portion. That until we are ready to accept the biblical concept of portion, we will never fully experience shalom. And this idea of portion is related to the four primary relationships that we have in this life. And that from these relationships is what shalom flows from. These four relationships are bigger than shalom, but shalom is connected to them. And here they are. They're going to pop up on the screen here. At peace with God, that's what Pastor Justin did last week, right? Phenomenal message. If you were not here, you need to get that either on our YouTube page or you can listen to it through our website. But he talked about this idea of, of there are things about God that are unknowable to us, right? This is this idea of the biblical concept of portion. There is a portion of understanding that has been given to humanity, right? But, but, but it but it means that we're going to live through this life. There are going to be some things about God that we will never fully understand. Our portion is, is, is limited understanding. And you've got to get comfortable with the unknowable sides of God. Being at peace with myself, there are things about ourselves that we cannot change. There are some things that we can change. There are some things that we should change. Right? There, there are some things that we wish would change about other people. Right? But then there are so many things about us and about others that we've got to be willing to come to accept, right? They're, they're the unchangeable things about us. This idea, there are things that God has portioned to us. He has portioned to us. Now, tonight we're going to try to do these last two, talking about being at peace with creation is connected to this idea of undeniable. I'm going to explain what that is. And then being at peace with others, this idea of being unreconcilable. So at peace with creation, at peace with creation. Let me sh share this thought with you. During the creation story on days one and three through six, we are told 
God saw that it was good. There's this phrase that is, is repeated. God saw that it was good. And on day six, he actually uses a superlative. He says, no, no, it's very good. It's very good. And I believe there's lots of different ideas about why he changed from good to very good. I've heard a lot of people say that because that's the day that he made us. And I think maybe that's part of it, but I don't think that's all of it. I think the reason why he said very good on the sixth day is because it was the first day, even though it was the sixth day, of everything working in perfect harmony together. It was very good because everything that had been good by itself was now all working in concert together. And I think when he said very good, he was talking about how it was in harmony with one another. He does not say good or very good on day two or day seven, if you've noticed, because on those days he didn't make anything different. He didn't make anything new. He didn't create anything. Those were not days of creation. Day two, he was a day of ordering things, and then day seven, as we know, was a day of rest. Good and then very good. Everything he made was good, but when it began to exist in concert and in partnership with everything else around it, God says, no, 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 see, now it's very good. It's very good. Genesis 1, 27 to 28 reads this way. So God created human beings in his own image. This is where we get this, 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 this phrase in Christianity that, that maybe if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're familiar with this, this phrase called imago Dei, the image of God. This idea of imago Dei, each of us bears some image of God who created us. We draw it from this text, the imago Dei, made human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He, he created them. And, and watch how it shifts here, right? And then 28 says, then God blessed. So in verse 27, it's talking about God creating, right? That's the verb. And, and then in, in verse 28, now he's, he's, he's blessing. And, and the reason why it shifts is, is because the text is trying to get our attention about something that we're going to dig into. Then he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. I, I am created by God to be in relationship with him. Right? I, I think there in that first verse, what we find is that God is saying, hey, I created you in my image like me so that you can be in relationship with me. Now, you can argue that all of creation has a measure of relationship with God. I think that's fair to say. But there's something about our relationship with him that is different. That, that we are his creation and that we have the capacity to be born into his family and to be with him in a very intimate and personal way. In fact, I would say, even though you can argue that Creation has a relationship with him that we have the capacity to have intimacy with him. We, we have the capacity to know God and to be known by him in a way that creation does not. In fact, again, I'm going to argue that one of the primary reasons why he created us was for the very specific purpose of us being in relationship 
with him. It's, it's why when we were talking about the Paw Patrol watch and, and, and this idea of feeling lost, there's a reason why we feel lost as long as God is lost to us because we were created to be in relationship with him. And then when that relationship is missing, we feel it, even though we don't know why we feel it. It's why in Ecclesiastes 3, the Bible talks about God setting eternity in our hearts. It's part of what sets us apart from the rest of creation. But see, creation just wasn't about creating. It was also about blessing. See, he created. He created us to be in relationship with him. Are we supposed to have a relationship with other people? Everybody who's married said, come on, amen. Husbands, if you didn't say amen loud enough, I'm just telling you, it's a points-based system. I created a window of opportunity there for you. I know. You were checking the score to the game. I know you were. But he wasn't just busy creating. He was busy blessing. And this isn't just the Bible being poetic. It's being instructive. See, I'm created by God to be in relationship with him. I am blessed by God to be in activity for him. See, see how the, the text shifts? We, we're created to be in relationship with him, but then we, we're blessed so that we can be in activity for him. And, and there were certain kinds of activity that Adam and Eve were instructed to have. Hey, there are certain kinds of activity that he wants to instruct you to have. Now, can we argue that part of this is, is activity that is passed on for all humanity? Yeah, I, I think so. But there's also, I think, a secondary meaning in, in that God created you for a purpose. God created you to do specific things. In Ephesians 2, we're told that we're saved by grace, and, 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 and it's, it's not of works. It's a gift, not of, not of ourselves. This is this idea of being in a relationship with God, but then he pivots right away. Right? Paul pivots immediately in Ephesians it's right for the good works that he's prepared for us to do. Why? Because Paul understands this concept. We're created to be in relationship with him, and then we're blessed to be an activity for him. God wants you to discover the activities that he's assigned for you to do from the foundations of the earth. God wants all of us to discover our, our God-said moments over our lives Goodness, there's a slide that's going to pop up, is biblical language that we find in Genesis 1 to describe the feeling of shalom that comes from being relationally with and active for God. Let me read that again. Goodness is biblical language we find in Genesis 1 to describe the feeling of shalom that comes from being relationally with and active for God. See, this, this series is trying to help you to discover the fullness of shalom. This series is trying to help you to understand that, that shalom is a, is a complex thing. There's these four primary relationships we have with God, with ourselves, with others, and with creation. And with creation means that the activities and the jobs and the roles and the responsibilities that we are supposed to be active in in this creative world, that all of those things need to be present in order for me to have the fullness of shalom. And that I need to understand that I am limited in my relationship with all of them. 
Somebody asked me in the series, we were hanging out after church, and they were saying, they, they said, Fred, so, so does that mean that there might be certain aspects of shalom that I might have that are higher than others? And I said, yeah, come on, you're catching on. See, sometimes people settle for a certain measure of peace, and what they don't realize, there's a whole lot more out there for them. Sometimes people are frustrated because they only think of peace in regards to their relationship with God. And, and then they realize it's just, it's not everything I think that it should be. And so they just, they keep chasing more and more after intimacy. And it might be that they're already fully intimate in their relationship with God. Right? I mean, they're just, they've made it as far as they're going to get in the season of life that they're in without, because there's three other things that they should be chasing for this peace to come. Goodness is biblical language that we find in Genesis 1 to describe the feeling of shalom that comes from being relationally with, but yes, also active for God. All of us have activities that we give ourselves to in this life. And the four questions that you can ask yourself to help you understand What's an activity that you have given yourself to is time, money, emotions, and thoughts. Time, money, emotions, and thoughts. If you're spending money on it, if, if you're setting aside time for it, if, if you've got emotional energy invested in it, and you find yourself thinking about it, even when you're not trying to, these are activities that you are involved in. Now, now, your vocation is oftentimes one of these. Or I should say, if you're working that job, it should be one of these. Right? You, you should have some emotional energy invested in your job. right? right? You should be checking these boxes. Where, where I think sometimes people forget, though, is that hobbies that you have check these boxes. Right? If you've got a hobby... If you, if, if, you, if you have a hobby, it's not your vocation, meaning that, right? And I mean, I'm not even talking about a side hustle, right? Because nowadays you can have a vocation and a side hustle, but then there's still something that's called a hobby, which means that it's not a source of, of revenue and a source of income for you, but it checks all, the, all four of these boxes. You give time to it. You spend money on it. You, you, you've, you've got emotional energy that is invested in it, and, and you think about it even when you're not trying to even when you're not trying to. I'm just riding down the road, and all of a sudden, do I need to get another motorcycle helmet or not? Right? If you're a rider, we, if we, don't, we don't collect purses and shoes. Okay, we collect shoes if we're riders. All different kinds of shoes for all different kinds of seasons. Right? Ladies, if you want your husband to appreciate and identify with your shoe addiction, you need to talk him into getting a motorcycle. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. You've got hobbies. You've got a vocation. You should have a church that you call home. You should have a church that you call home. <laughs> it checks all these boxes. It should check all these boxes if it's a church that you call home. You have a community that you should be involved and active in. A year ago, I made a commitment to be more involved in my city, to be more involved in my community, to volunteer outside the church. You have a family. Time, money, emotions, thoughts. You tracking with me? 
all of these things, and we could keep going, satisfy this idea of a biblical definition of activity. Listen to this. The difference between a busy life and an active life is determined by how much your list is undeniably assigned, blessed by God. The difference between a busy life and an active life is all of the things that you could list as activities for you because they check all four of those boxes of time, money, energy, and thoughts. Of all the difference between being busy and being active is how many of the things on this list are you doing because God has directed you into them. Has he... Are they the things that he has said God said? You might say, Fred, I've never even thought about God having something to say about my hobbies, but he does. He has something to say about your hobbies. He wants you to have hobbies. He wants you to have things that rejuvenate you and refresh you. He wants you to have things that invigorate your life. He wants you to have those things. Can I just tell you, too, he has something to say about your hobbies? Because your hobbies cause you to cross paths with people that you would have otherwise not met. And it could be that it's through that hobby that you're supposed to reach somebody with the gospel. He's got something to say about all your activities. The church that you're supposed to be a part of. The person that you're supposed to marry. How many kids you're supposed to have, right? He's got an idea about all of these things that he wants to share with you. The difference between a busy life and an active life is determined by how much your list is undeniably assigned slash blessed by God. Are your activities assignments or are they desperate attempts at creating your own feelings of goodness through busyness? Be at peace with creation. Be at peace with creation. Jesus brings us into relationship with God but he also brings us into relationship with God so we can be active for God. And when we're active for God doing the right things, which also means that we're not busy doing the wrong things, there's a measure of peace that comes to my life. Part one, we're going to make it. At peace with others. At peace with others. Have you ever considered, we're going to stay in the creation story, have you ever considered how creation also reveals to us what God values. There, there was nothing. Right? When, we, when we start in Genesis 1, we realize there was, there was nothing. There was just a void. There was, there was chaos. There was nothing, which, which means that God had the opportunity to create everything that he wanted to create, which means that through creation, he begins to show us what he values. This slide's going to come up. The Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 was the perfect picture of shalom, not because everything was the same, but rather because everything that was different worked in perfect harmony together. The Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 was the perfect picture of shalom, not because everything was the same, but rather because everything that was different worked in 
perfect harmony together, which we've already established that, or at least I have suggested to you, you'll decide whether or not you agree with it. That's where he pivoted from good to very good. But, but by virtue of that, we also realize God is revealing to us what he values. He values diversity. He values variety. He made a diverse world. He, he made a, a, a variety world, right? It's, it's incredible what he did. And he's showing us something. He's showing us his values. Romans 12, 16 reads this way. Live in harmony with each other. Paul would not have had to say that if we were all the same. Live in harmony with each other. He doesn't say assimilate to one another. He doesn't say become one another. He says, be in harmony with each other. He, he's saying, celebrate your differences. Don't, don't, don't try to erase them. And find the beauty that comes from harmony that can only be achieved through variety. Harmony is impossible unless it's predicated on diversity. And then he says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Now, this means lots of things. This word here, ordinary, translates into the word humble in the Greek. So some, some people argue that this would be, 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 be better understood as, hey, make sure that you spend time and are drawn to people that you would not necessarily naturally be drawn to. You, you, you see them as, as, as ordinary. Others argue that, that Paul here might have been written to a, writing to a class of people who were wealthy and, and influential. And so he's, he's challenging classism. And he's saying, hey, don't just associate with people in your socioeconomic class. And, and, and then there's other different opinions and other options. I say, hey, why pick? Because I think Paul's talking about all of those things. I, I think he's saying, don't just gravitate towards people who were like you. And you know why I think I'm pretty confident that that's what he's saying? Is because he wraps it up by saying, and don't think you know it all. You don't have that problem if you're only ever hanging around with people that agree with you, which is one of the problems that we have in the world today. Right? Don't, don't think that you know it all. Right there. In Romans, Paul is pressing people towards diversity. And I think one of the reasons why he's pressing people towards diversity is that he wants us to discover harmony. Because when we discover harmony, we, we touch something of shalom that would otherwise elude us. You can have all the shalom that comes from being in relationship with God, being comfortable with the concept of portion. I know that there are things about God that are just unknowable. I'm not going to understand it all. I'm going to be at peace with that, and there's a measure of peace that I find. You, you can experience all the peace that you can find with yourself, this idea of, of unchangeable. There's things about myself I, I, I cannot change. I can, I can try. I can go to the gym as much as I want, but at the end of the day, that Paw Patrol watch might still fit on my wrist. Right? There's things about your physical body you can't change. You can't change the, the ethnicity that you were born into. You can't change the family that you were born into, right? There's all kinds of things that, uh, that, that we, we cannot change. God, God chose them for us. 
Something begins to happen when I begin to accept the things that I cannot change. There's a, there's a measure of peace that I begin to experience when I'm at peace with myself. Maybe I'm going to take to heart some of the things that I'm hearing tonight. Maybe you're going to take to heart some of the things you're hearing tonight, and you're going to all of a sudden begin to be prayerfully mindful of all the activities that you've given yourself to. And maybe you're going to realize some of those things are just busyness and, and, and not activities that are blessed by God, not directed by God. Then all, all of a sudden you're going to have this undeniable confidence, an undeniable confidence that all your activities are assigned by him. But then we have this other one. You can have all the shalom that comes from those three, but there's still a measure of peace that will always escape you if you only ever find yourself in relationship with people who are just like you. There is, there is a doorway back to Eden that is waiting for us when we step into diverse settings and create the opportunity for harmony. We bring something of Eden back into our present world. The absence of conflict found through sameness is a false sense of shalom. The absence of conflict found through sameness is a false sense of shalom. True peace, biblical peace, which is shalom is only experienced in harmony. For the sake of time, you can download these notes the following week off of our, off of our website. But you're, you're, you're going to see the 12 disciples. If you only see them as the same, you're missing the bigger picture. The 12 disciples, did they share an ethnicity? They did, but they shared little to anything else. That, that group of 12 guys were about as different as you could find. The first Jerusalem church, again, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, Acts 2.41, Acts 2.7-12, Acts 6.1. Again, you can download these notes if you want those references. You, you find that the, the Jerusalem church was rid, ridiculously and impossibly diverse. You know how we know that? Is because they were immersed in conflict. Read the first six chapters of the book of Acts. They were always at odds with each other. Fighting. Why? Because they were saying no. Because they were not used to difference. They too, 2,000 years ago, the only life that they knew was a life of sameness. And one of the gifts that Christianity is supposed to be to the world is to turn that upside down and to be an example to the world of how harmony can be experienced even when we have unreconcilable differences with one another. One of the first big fights in the first century church is because there were some Jewish people that were saying to non-Jewish people, you need to be less invested in your ethnicity, become more invested in our ethnicity if you have any hope of spirituality with Jesus. And, and, and leaders like Paul and Barnabas were, said to them, sh sh shut up. One of the first official business meetings in the Bible is in the book of Acts dealing with that problem. You, you keep reading. You, you get to this, 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 this moment in time where, where there are widows who are being cared for by the church, right? It's beautiful. Well, there's a problem. 
the people that were running that ministry were favoring the people that were of their ethnicity and neglecting the ones that were not. Yeah, the church having problems. Go figure. And their problems were related to ethnic conflict. That's where the whole concept of deacons comes into play. The, the, the apostles came in and says, this isn't right. We've we got to put some people that are over this ministry, that are, that are trustworthy, that are full of the Holy Spirit. Right? And, 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 and part of what they were saying is that we have, we have got to get this harmony thing right because we're supposed to be a witness for how it's to be done to the rest of the world because there's a measure of peace that you will not find in this life if you keep running towards sameness. Belong to a diverse community of people, especially your church. It's one of the reasons why diversity is one of our four core values here at the City Life Church. Belong to a diverse community of people. We're not trying to be culturally irrelevant. We're trying to be Edenesque. Where you are challenged to work together with people who look Think, vote, live differently than you, even in unreconcilable ways. Biblical shalom is found in harmony, not sameness. So be at peace with others. Be at peace with others. One of the reasons so many people don't experience the shalom that comes from being at peace with others is because they are constantly moving away from its source. One of the reasons why so many people don't experience the shalom that comes from being at peace with others is because they are constantly moving away from its source, meaning that they're constantly drifting away from difference, drifting towards sameness, and they're frustrated because they can't figure out why peace is so elusive to them, even though they've got it dialed in in these other three areas. There's still a measure of it intuitively. They know that it's not there, and so they keep doubling down, moving towards sameness, but they got to start moving in the opposite direction. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. It's a chunk. I'm going to read it all. Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot like a, a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. If you're familiar with Isaiah 53, this is one of the great prophetic texts about the coming of Jesus. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Dare we say, in Paul's words, he was ordinary. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deep, the deepest grief. We, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. 
Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we, and we thought, thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth, unjustly condemned. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But he was the Lord's good plan. And it was God's plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Come on. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteousness, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honor of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for us. Stand with me. Isaiah 53. Every time I read that, after I get past that, that feeling of awe and that feeling of of humility, that feeling of gratitude that I trust that you felt about this, this poetic, prophetic rendering of the coming of Christ, that he would one day die for the sins of the world. I always eventually, though, end up in the same place. And it's this. I don't think I would have done it that way. Right? You read Isaiah 53, you're like, really? That's how God's going to save the world? He's going to He's going to put the Messiah in the world, but, but he's going to put him in the world in such a way that, that there's nothing about him that would draw us to him, right? This, you read things like this, and it, it just it gives me pause. I don't know if it gives you pause. And, and it makes us, in those moments where we realize that, God, I don't, you could have done it so many other ways. And it seems like there were so many other ways that could be better. But this is where we have to come to grips with this idea of the unknowable side of who God is, that his ways are higher than our own. See, this journey in this life of being a devoted follower of Christ, you have to be willing to trust that God knows better than you. I have to be willing to trust that God knows better than me. And whether it's shalom or anything else in this journey that we're called to, 
as a devoted follower of Christ, so many times it's going to give us pause. So many times it's going to cause us to feel, God, are you sure this is the right way? Are, are, you, are you sure this is how I'm supposed to do it? Are, are you sure there's, there's not a, another path I could take? But this is part of the journey, people. This is part of what faith looks like and what faith feels like. We trust his plan because we know his heart. So, Father, as we step into this moment of worship, whether it be for shalom or whether it be for something else, whatever it is that each of us brought into on this Saturday in 2024 that we need to let go of, that we need to lean away from, that we need to press into. Help us to find the courage. Help us to find the faith to trust that your heart always has our best interest at heart. we would trust your wisdom. We would accept your love. We would receive your forgiveness. We would hold tightly to your grace and to your mercy. Because we know sometimes, God, it's not so much about what you're asking us to do. It's that we realize you're asking us and we think you should be asking someone else. Help us to hear our names on your lips and to follow after you all the days of our lives. Come on, let's worship together.